I know that looked like 20 pages of notes. It's not, just in case you're wondering. Well, we do have the opportunity this morning to count our many blessings, to name them, even in the small things, and perhaps especially in the small things. And I think that song is a really good lead-in to this new series we're going to do on the book of James, the letter of James. We just finished a long series that began back in June over the life of David, a man after God's own heart. And in many ways, that series was, was preparatory for what we're going to hear beginning in December as we as a church will study together the Gospel of Matthew, the most popular gospel in the early church. And really, we've had three different preparatory studies for the Gospel of Matthew. So we have the life of David, and we, we hear in the very first verse of the Gospel of Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. But also a second study that we've done is what we're doing in our adult Bible classes, the study of the book of Exodus. There are so many connections between Exodus and the Gospel of Matthew, and the themes of slavery and redemption, and the Red Sea, the wilderness wanderings, the new law given by Jesus on the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount, the tabernacle where God dwells. And from the very beginning in the Gospel of Matthew, we have the story of Emmanuel, God with us. But a third preparatory study is this study on the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus. The man who became the leader, a leader, a pillar in the Jerusalem church, a man who was revered, a man who possessed great wisdom as we see throughout this letter. And there have been many who have made the case, and I tend to agree with them, that James' commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, in particular, the Sermon on the Mount. And so over the, over the next six weeks, seven weeks, let's perk our ears up, and listen in on some themes that we will revisit whenever December comes and we study the Gospel of Matthew. So if you want to turn to James, we'll be in James chapter 1. I've entitled this series on the book of James, Looking into a Mirror. And of course that image is taken from James chapter 1 verse 23, that verse that we hear every ten weeks from one of the shepherds of the church during that moment in each assembly. And I think for most of us, most of us, we've had an encounter with a mirror this morning. And the mirror is very useful. What a mirror does is it allows us to step outside of ourselves and to see ourselves the way that others see us, which is why whenever we look at a mirror, we tend to look at our flaws. Our eyes are drawn there because we know that others see those flaws. And so this morning, this Sunday morning, we know that we are going to be amongst people. And so we stand before the mirror, and we gaze, and we groom ourselves, and we make sure that our clothes are, are matching and admittedly, I have found and discovered that I need a second pair of eyes after I look in the mirror. And over the last three or four years, I've discovered I have a third pair of eyes and a fourth pair of eyes. <laughs> I'm a blessed, blessed man. 
But it's in the mirror where we see the collar flipped up, the string on the shirt. Uh, Shirley Martin this morning found me and we were talking and she started dusting off my, my coat because I had chalk. I don't know how I got all this chalk on my coat, but something I could have caught in the mirror, but I didn't. Uh, or the makeup, perhaps, is not made up, however that works. I would have questions about that, by the way, Christy. Uh, but that image of the mirror, it's important. And James is using it in a specific way. He is talking about the Word of God as a mirror. And he's specifically addressing those who hear the Word, but do not put it into practice. But that image of the mirror is, is larger than that. I think James is really a mirror in Scripture for all of us. James is very practical. James is extraordinarily challenging. And what we get with the book of James, that is the mirror, we, we see the flaws in ourselves. We see this very high standard. We see, this, uh, we see the sins that we so easily get entangled with. And so over the next month, month and a half, it's important for us to hear the Word of God from the book of James. And this morning we'll have the opportunity to see ourselves in the mirror, especially in light of our trials and our response to those trials. So this morning let's gaze in the mirror intently as we hear the Word of God. I'm going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 1. We'll read the first 18 verses and that will be our sermon text today. Listen in on the thread that ties all these verses together. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, 
with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of all His creatures. May God bless the reading of His precious word. Well, earlier this year, I was attending a lunch, and there was a speaker at this lunch, and he directed us to an article from the Atlantic that was over a decade old. But it was an article from a music critic who went to Greenwich Village, and he went to a club, a jazz club, and he was listening to this band. And there was a trumpet player that he, he recognized, at least he looked like a shadow of what once was, the great trumpet player Wynton Marsalis. And he recognized the man who was past his prime when he started to play the trumpet. And there was a moment when the band quit playing and Marsalis played this solo and he played this set and instantly it was magic. The people in the audience were mesmerized by his playing. And the final song of this set was a song called I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance. It was the pièce de résistance of the entire set. And then Marcellus, as he played this wonderfully, beautifully, he reached the climax of the song. He hit those final notes. He was right and had all this momentum going into the final, final note. And then something happened. Right as he was about to end the song, a cell phone went off. And then it rang again, and the owner of the cell phone fumbled and tried to turn it off, and she ran out of the room, but it was too late. Marsalis stopped playing, and it was enough for this music critic to pull out a napkin and write on the napkin, Magic Ruined. Magic Ruined. Have you ever had the magic ruined? I think we all know what that's like to some degree. To experience what James calls trials of various kinds. When we find a groove in life. When everything is falling into place the way as it should. Everything is going according to plan. Our finances are in order. Our relationships are flourishing. Our health is top notch. If life is a song, then we are playing beautifully, masterfully, everything is going right. And then the cell phone goes off. An interruption in life. We have phrases for this in our culture. Life deals you lemons. The one I use often is life throws you a curveball. I think of those who right now as we speak are suffering there in the floods just west of us. I think of the people from last year... Hurricane Harvey, Jerry and Nancy's daughter, Tammy Welch, all of a sudden their home is gone. Now it's one thing to have time to prepare for these curveballs, these magic ruin moments, to make plans for it, to buffer against it, to get plan A, plan B, plan C, to get our minds around this trial that's coming, but that's not the way trials work, at least the ones that really test our faith, no the, really, the trials that really test our faith are the ones that come out of nowhere. The shattered expectations. 
that send us into a state of disorientation. And these are the kinds of trials that James speaks about in the opening chapter of this letter. He uses a word for these trials. The word is parismos. Parismos means trial, test, temptation. And the the different meanings of this word depend on the context, which is very important in the first chapter of James. One author says this about the word parismos. Basically, the word has the range of meaning from anything from a hangnail to the Holocaust. Which is why James speaks to so many of us at once. He's speaking to anyone who has had the magic ruined in life. He's speaking to anyone who understands what, what life is like when there's disappointment when there's heartbreak from situations that happen to us unexpectedly. And certainly the people who are receiving this letter, the people of the dispersion, the scattered Jewish Christians would understand what trials of various kind mean, what they are, and how they test our faith. It is a question that goes right to the heart of our faith. It's the great critique of the modern atheist, and really it's not that modern. It goes back centuries Where is God in trial? Why did God allow this to happen? That has been the question that has been on the minds of people really since the beginning. And the answers are not always easy. It's not easy to parse that one out often. And so we struggle with it. But Scripture gives us a wide range of answers to this question. Trials happen for many different reasons. Trials come from many different sources. Sometimes... Life just happens. It's life in a fallen world. We're living in an in-between time that is not as it should be. It is what Jesus talks about with the tower that crumbles and the 18 people die. There's, you can try to figure out the reason for it, but life just happens. Earlier this year, as you know, my grandfather died in a church parking lot What many of you might not know is that he was actually hit by a car from a friend, from a fellow churchgoer. So you have all kinds of questions, and we ask, well, so did did God make this happen where the man turned that corner just at the right time, and the sun hit his eyes, he was blinded to my grandfather crossing the street, and he hit him? I don't believe that for a second. I don't. And that's what I was telling the man at the funeral when he came up to me and said, hey, I'm the one that hit your grandfather. I said, I hope you're not carrying that guilt. Tragedy happens. It is the fall, the curse of man. The little child that gets leukemia and dies, God calls that. I don't believe that for a second. And I don't think James holds that view either if I'm reading first, the first chapter, verse 17, correctly about every good gift, perfect gift, comes from the Father above. Now there are some things that God causes, struggles. God is, allows, causes, however you want to parse that out. In Hebrews, the writer tells us that God disciplines His children and that's the context of struggling with sin. We know the story of Job. The cosmic contest between God and the evil one. And Job is right there in the middle of this. And the evil one unleashes a lot of suffering on Job. Not because of Job's sin, as his friends suggested, but because Job is so good. That's why Job is made to suffer. 
Some trials come from within. James talks about this in verse 13, 14, and 15. He talks about those desires that are in our hearts, those affections that can so easily fall on the wrong things in life, the disordered affections, the displaced desires, and the lust gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, leads to death. And James says, God has nothing to do with that. God does not entice to evil. God does not tempt. And so we have an enigma when it comes to trials and the source of trials. Is it life in a fallen world? Is it God disciplining his children? Is it the work of the evil one? Is it our own evil fleshly desires coming out and wreaking havoc in our lives? Well, sometimes we don't get a clear-cut answer. Probably often we don't get a clear-cut answer as to why this is happening. But what we do know is what James talks about in James chapter 1. That when we experience those moments when the magic is ruined, those interruptions, it is a testing of our faith. And so we look at the mirror this morning, and we see ourselves in light of trial. And we see ourselves in how we respond to trial. But we find help. We find help in the story of Wynton Marsalis there in that club in Greenwich Village. He's playing along. He has all this momentum built, and everything falls apart because the cell phone goes off. And so Marcellus pauses for a few seconds. And then he places the trumpet to his lips, and he starts to play. But to the shock of the audience, it's not the jazz song. It's the cell phone ringtone he's playing. And this is a little dated, but it's the old ringtone. He plays it again. And the people start to laugh. They begin to relax. And he plays it again. This time he adds a few notes. He starts improvising. He starts playing this song out of the ringtone. And then he starts shifting the key. And then the faint melody of I don't stand a ghost of a chance starts to enter into the song. And then the audience realizes that he's doing something truly magnificent. And he reaches the climax of the song again with power, with beauty. He hits those last notes and the audience immediately stands up and gives him a standing ovation because they recognize that they had just witnessed something that was truly genius. A man who moved from the magic ruined to the magic, even greater magic, recovered even better. I see that story in James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, brethren, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of various kinds. I see it in verse 17, that every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Why? Why can we consider it pure joy, 
whenever we face parismas. Because, brothers and sisters in Christ, God meets us there in those moments. God meets us there when the magic is ruined. God is present with His people, and even beyond that, God is weaving something beautiful out of the struggle, out of the hurt. So the children here, do you remember the song we sang at Camp Agape? God makes beautiful things out of what? Do you remember? Out of the dust. Out of us. That's James chapter 1. God doing something, producing something that only He can. And, and He talks about it in James chapter 1. He talks about the things being produced. The steadfastness. The maturing of the faith. The, the trust. The relationship of trust. He talks about those misdirected, those disordered affections that give birth to sin. Well, in verse 18, James says that God gives birth to His people through the word of truth, renewing, restoring, reshaping those desires in ways that honor Him, doing only what God can do in our lives. There's wisdom that is produced, and I would encourage us to read this, especially the first 18 verses, not as just a bunch of random paragraphs put together. The thread that runs through this is trials. So when we come across that line, that, that verse that says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him to consider how wisdom relates to trial. Could it be that the wisdom he talks about here is directly related to our, our vision, our ability to hear the song that's being played, that's being produced, that God is doing there in the background? It takes wisdom to see that. It takes wisdom to look at our situation from a different perspective through the disruptions, through the interruptions of life. And so this morning we ask ourselves in the mirror, how are we responding to trial? It's an important question to ask. It's one of the most important questions to ask, not just for our maturing of our own faith, but also for our witness. So life is hard. Trials are hard. There is no fun in going through trial. But make no mistake about it, the world is watching. Our neighbors here in Austin and Round Rock and Pflugerville and Leander and Georgetown and South, all these places, our neighbors are watching us. They're watching to see how we respond to trial and we have the opportunity to bear witness to God's goodness, God's work in our lives, even in the magic-ruined moments. They see the joy that we carry inside of us. Not the dismissive, overly optimistic, everything is going great joy. That's not biblical joy. Joy is that, that being, becoming a part of sharing in Christ and the knowledge that God is working and creating beautiful things out of the ashes, out of the rubble, God is at work. And so we have opportunity this week 
to serve as good witnesses to the one who knows what trial is all about. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer talks about Jesus as our great high priest. He is the one who can sympathize with us in all aspects of life. You think about that. I, I picture every time I see that, I picture Jesus there at the tomb of his good friend Lazarus. And he's standing there at the tomb and he sees Mary and he sees Martha and he sees the crowd and he, he's looking at the, the deep anguish that they're carrying because of the loss of this man Lazarus. And Jesus is moved to compassion. And he weeps. Jesus weeps. That's the one who's interceding for us right now. That's the one who's going before the Father, interceding on our behalf. And that, brothers and sisters in Christ, is good news. So, in the weeks to come, perhaps our prayer is that God will give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear the song that's being played and maybe even rewritten right now as we speak. The dyes are experiencing that right now. A situation that's out of their control is being rewritten in even better ways in their interactions with Raul. And we lift him up in prayer that God would finish the song. If you would like to respond this morning to the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is present with his people in good times and in trial, we invite you to come as we learn to walk in his way, as we stand and as we sing.